It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. I'm Emily Campagno, and this is the Fox True Crime Podcast. On Tuesday, suspected Long Island serial killer Rex Hewerman appeared in court where he was charged with the murder of a fourth victim. Hewerman was indicted in connection to the death of 25-year-old Maureen Brainard Barnes, who disappeared back in 2007. During the summer of 2023, Hewerman was first arrested in connection to the Gilgo Beach killings. He faced six charges in connection to the murders of 24-year-old Melissa Bartholomew, 22-year-old Megan Waterman, and 27-year-old Amber Costello. Together, these victims were known as the Gilgo Four. Hewerman's attorney entered a not guilty plea and reserved the right for a bail application. He's set to appear back in court on February 6th. Joining me now to discuss this latest charge, as well as the evidence in this case, is my friend, attorney and retired NYPD inspector, Fox News contributor, Paul Morrow. Paul, so this is pretty explosive. Did you expect this? Uh, Well, you know, they had said that they were working very hard towards uh, getting an arrest regarding Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and they had telegraphed a lot of confidence. So, you know, I have expected it, um, but I think what was particularly interesting was the role of the belt. You know, we had heard a lot about that belt early on. It was a subject of a lot of speculation well before Hewerman was identified as the uh, alleged perp. And the fact that the belt, in fact, does end up being a significant piece of this, I think, is is pretty interesting. I think it's fascinating. So tell us a little bit more about that. For those who haven't heard about this belt um, and its potential relationship to Hewerman's father. Uh, so one of the things that was really interesting here was the role of the belt. The, the belt had been released in the past by Suffolk County PD in hopes that somebody might be able to recognize it. It's sort of an old style leather belt. And what was interesting is that the belt has a pair of initials on them, uh, on it, and it says either HM or WH, depending on how you hold the belt. Now, as it turns out, the everybody was trying to make sense of, well, what does this belt potentially mean, et cetera, those that were following the case. As it turns out, the belt that was used as one of the three belts with which Maureen Brainerd Barnes was bound, that is to say her body was found with three belts uh, binding it, um, one of those was, in fact, this belt with the initials on it, which had never really been released. And the speculation now is that it, in fact, does say WH, which would stand for William Fuhrman which is the uh, name of Rex Hurman's grandfather. So the speculation is that this is an heirloom in his family. He had it near to hand, and he used it to bind poor Maureen Brainerd Barnes. But that was part of his undoing, because attached to the belt was a single female hair, Now, Maureen Brainerd Barnes was the first of the victims to go missing. That's back in 2007. And it took a while 
to sequence the genome of the uh, DNA in this hair because you don't you only have the shaft you don't have the hair root and that makes things much more difficult ultimately they were able to achieve that but it took a while i think likely because it was the most degraded because it was the oldest and the way it comes back is that it is and i'm going to read this directly from the veil application 7.9 trillion times more likely to come from asa ellerup than anybody else so pretty clearly Somehow or other, Rex Hurman allegedly transferred his wife's hair to this belt buckle, and it's what ties him to Maureen Brainerd Barnes's body, and that seems to be the piece that they were waiting for before deciding to charge him with her killing as well. And I found notable as well, um, there's so much here in the that bail application you know, there's two things sort of just focusing on that belt for a second. The the audacity of an alleged serial killer to use this family heirloom. To me, you know, what does that indicate to you? Is it desperation? Is it cavalier? Is it he, he, he I mean, did he not think of passing that down to his son or something? It, it, it's it's so um, audacious, the thought of using what would be a treasured family heirloom passed down was his grandfather. That's two generations. I was struck by that. I mean, I, I that was that seemed um, either born out of desperation or audacity. And what do you make of defense's argument at this point, even trying to throw out that DNA analysis that it only narrows the scope, but it's not totally positive? I, I Laugh, it's not a laughing matter, but 7.9 trillion times more likely. I mean, that seems as slam dunk as you can get. I guess scientifically there's no such thing, but come on. You think there's defense is going to get away with this? Yeah, then I did there, you know, and that's under the uh, nuclear DNA uh, results. What the defense has decided to do, and look, they're they're grasping at straws here because the DNA. You know, it reminds me uh, in a lot of ways to another case that you and I have spoken a great deal about, which is the Koberger case, mm-hmm. which is that, um, you know, the the team did all the traditional stuff, a lot of the, you know, the shoe leather work, um, and then went into the digital world and put together evidence from that. But very cognizant of the fact that in this age of the CSI effect, juries, if it were ever to get to a jury, really do want this slam dunk DNA evidence, um, you know, that's what really um, n- nails this down because of the numbers involved, as you're saying. So that was the sort of methodology that they used. And the DNA is really, if you read the uh, bail application that they put out, is really what informs this document. So what the defense has done, I'm sure I just out of desperation, is they have picked off the mitochondrial DNA results, which are not as uh, completely indicting, for lack of a better term, whereas the nuclear DNA results can be the kind of numbers that you and I are talking about. The mitochondrial, let's say on Megan Waterman, is 99.69% exclusive of anybody but one of the women, Kierman family relatives. That is to say, Asa Ellerup, which is the wife, or Victoria Hurman. So what the defense has done here has said, well, 99.69 leaves 0.31% on the table. 
and applying that to the local population, that still means there's a lot of people out there that this could indicate. And what he's done is he has just taken one factoid and extrapolated from it, ignoring the fact that the same sample using nuclear DNA results gets you to 2.374 times 10 to the 48th power certainty that it comes back, in fact, to Rex Yerman's wife. So I guess that's a long way of saying he picked out something that gave him a talking point, but it really isn't very compelling. It isn't compelling at all. And I think that realistically, in light of these results and what they released, which is more information that we had, that, that we've had it all all along here, it really highlights the fact that Herman has, from where I sit, one card left to play, which is, does he have anything else to give the prosecution? Because I don't see how he talks his way out of this one. And uh, the only possibility here is that he has something to give them that, uh, you know, would somehow or other mitigate how hard they come down on him. But in light of how heinous these crimes are and the fact that he's got at least these four bodies on him, I'm not even sure that that could work. And, you know, that's frankly what the assistant DA closed on in this bail app, which is, he said, based on the serious, heinous nature of these serial murders, the strength of the people's case, the life incarceration the defendant faces upon conviction, the extreme measures this defendant took to attempt to avoid apprehension for over a decade— you know, he used fictitious names and, and emails and burner accounts and cell phones and, and you know, online counter surveillance. And then now this indictment of yet another murder charge for a fourth victim. That's the argument the prosecution's making here is keep this guy in jail, that there's no amount yeah, of anything I, that that, you know, should lend itself toward actually setting or granting a bail, frankly. Yeah, I, I, and I think obviously all of us agree with that. And I think that, you know, to extrapolate a little bit, I'm going to confess that I would be quite surprised if there's one or two other potential victims here that maybe I'd be less surprised if they tie to him. But I would be stunned if the remaining seven, depending on how you parse this, six or seven victims or bodies uh, or body parts, in fact, that have been found out along that stretch of beach in Gilgal, if they could tie those to him, um, you know, I would I would be amazed. As I said, there's one or two others that the victim is in a similar age group. It's a female, et cetera. But you got a diversity of people that have been found out there, um, including one of uh, the victims uh, who is found seven and a half miles away in Oak Beach. So, you know, that that uh, person always comes up here as part of the, you know, Gilgo serial killer, but I don't think that's going to ever be tied to him. So my point is, I don't know that he has anything to offer anyway. And let's remember something else. After they developed his name, and are apparently, reportedly, some of the members of the task force felt like we got to take this guy down now. They went a whole year surveilling him before they made the first arrest because they were waiting for, as we mentioned, this slam dunk DNA evidence to come back from the labs. It takes a long time to cultivate this stuff. And think about that. What a tough spot to be in 
They know in their bones this is our guy, or at least, you know, allegedly this is our guy. This is what they believe very strongly. They're waiting for all the DNA to come back, and they, they're leaving him out there. And he is continuing to dial up hookers and make appointments with and have assignations with sex workers. And he's using all the same techniques, burner phones and burner accounts, cutout accounts on his uh, on his laptop. And they had to surveil him. They had cameras up and everything else because, God forbid, he goes out and does it again. And, you know, you got to say to yourself, I, I mean, really, what a roll of the dice because you can't cover anybody 24-7. And you certainly can't cover him when he's on behind closed doors. And all I can say is thank God in that in that year period he didn't commit another murder because uh, that really would have been something tough to answer out. We're going to take a quick break. More from our guest after this. Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at foxbusinesspodcasts.com or wherever you download your favorite podcasts. And against the description you just gave, you know, the the whew, relief feeling of that, um, I just can't help but remark on the effectiveness of the prosecution's case to that point, that while clearly they were waiting to ensure they had enough evidence, prosecutable evidence, uh, charging evidence that that threshold was reached, they did an incredible job of not only securing it, but presenting it. And this is against public pressure and what always happens, which is we don't know the whole story. We don't know what law enforcement is in the process of gathering or procuring and seeing how clearly prosecution laid out, you know, these columns, they have the victim's names, they have exactly the the hair that was found on the, the victim's the approximate location of that hair recovery. So we have, for example, Maureen Brainerd Barnes, the subject of this fourth charge. A female hair was found on her. It was found on a buckle of a belt restraining her lower body. And then they go through, as you parsed out earlier, the mitochondrial DNA results and the nuclear SNP DNA results. So you don't have to be, you know, you can be a minds like mine, which is not scientific whatsoever. And I'm looking at the clarity. It is so clear, the prosecution, the way that they presented this evidence. And again, when you talk about these numbers where it's arguing to the court, you know, the 7.9 trillion, the 2.778 times 10 to the 480th power. I don't even know what that means. I just means that it's, it's you know... A, a lot of zeros. Yeah, exactly. And um, so they really did an incredible job, I think, with collating that, that information and then presenting it to the court. Because at the end of the day, I think... It has been so many years, and now the more that we uncover, the more we realize what a monstrous, what just monstrous behavior this person is charged with. So it's incumbent upon this level of detailed investigation and presentation work that he gets convicted for it. If he's the if he's the monster, that every T is crossed to just a detailed degree. Yeah, they they really do. They got to make sure they don't, this guy never gets out. I mean, you know, you can see from some of the other details in this document. The kind of uh, Internet searches he was doing. Um, this guy is a real, you know, allegedly we have to add that because he's not convicted. And that's our system. He's innocent until proven guilty. But taking this evidence at face value, this guy is as bad as any of the serial killers that we have had. Um, God only knows what he what else he got up to. And 
as you say, part of the challenge here is to take this highly technical evidence. You know, one of the things you do when you build a case like this is you want a narrative. People like stories, and that's just a prosecutor's trick. Um, I shouldn't even call it a trick because that's kind of demeaning. But I mean, it's 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 a, a tradecraft. Yeah, yeah, tactic. It's 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 one of the things they have to do is create a narrative because people respond to stories, and you want to see the story laid out to you. And that's one of the things that they've done here is, you know, they've put these um, incidents in chronological order. They've made it very clear how they got where they got. You got to make that clear for a jury so that they understand it, because a defense tactic is sometimes not even to try to prove the innocence of your client. Remember, it's not innocence. It's not guilty. And so what you can do is just confuse the jury. So they say, you know. I don't know about this. I just don't entirely see it. And I don't feel beyond a reasonable doubt that that I can convict. And, you know, there's other things that are still going on here that law enforcement is dealing with. So, I, you know, I was talking to the sheriff who's part of the task force and they've been interviewing sex workers in that are in jail in both Suffolk and uh, in Nassau. And apparently they're going to go to do to Rikers next. And they are seeing if any of them have had contact with Hurman, and if any of them have been subjected to anything like this from even somebody else, because, you know, Emily, you and I both know that very often it's prostitutes who are targeted by guys like Hurman because the feeling is that nobody is going to care, nobody is going to look for them. Now, I don't think that's entirely true. And if you look at the families of the victims here, it's certainly not true, but that's the calculus. And uh, they're pursuing that. They've, I know they've cut 15 leads to the task force that they got from interviews with um, sex workers in, in jail. I think there hasn't been a lot of focus on that. This actually podcast may be the first that this is coming out. And I know one of the other things they're doing is they're monitoring him in jail very closely because by all accounts, he's a very arrogant guy, um, which is not uncommon with uh, serial killers. I feel like you know, they're they're controlling people and smarter than people around them. Apparently he had that rep and, you know, the world is closing in on him here. And part of achieving justice is getting the conviction you're talking about. And they want to make sure that nothing happens to get in the way of that while he's in jail. So they're watching him closely. Nobody told me he's on suicide watch, but, um, you know, I, I reading between the lines, I think they certainly don't want an Epstein situation. So they still got their hands full with this thing. They're plugging away at it. And who knows? You know, maybe we are only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Uh, we'll see. And, you know, I have to take this moment to plug something, a project you and I worked on before, Paul. Uh, we both worked on the Fox Nation special, The Architect of a Murderer, the Long Island Serial Killer. But we talked to Nikki Carbone, who was a sex worker who had dinner with Hewerman in 2012 don't quote me on the year. Um, and she had a terrible feeling during that meal. She goes into depth. She explains what happened. She explains why she called a friend to come get her. And she explains why she texted a friend and said, I just had dinner with a Long Island serial killer. She knew then. So to that point, law enforcement is now, per the word on the street, um, and and your contacts with the DA's office, that they're interviewing to see how many more. And that, you know, that was before. That was years ago. Uh so I think with all that we have now, clearly there is still a lot more to be uncovered. 
Um, Paul Morrow, thank you so much as always for your just unparalleled insight into everything we ever talk about. You are just an incredible resource. Thank you. Thank you very much, Emily. To hear more stories like this, you can listen to our past episodes on the Fox True Crime Podcast. Go to foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts to listen and subscribe. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts, and Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app. If you have a story or topic you want to hear on the show, we'd love to hear from you. Send us an email at truecrimepodcast at fox.com. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.